With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation. And if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Nation. Ho, 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 and Merry Christmas. This is the Christmas episode of Talking Sass, and thank you guys so much for joining me. I have such a gift of a guest for you guys this week, but before we get to him, let's handle a little bit of business first, as always. First up, next week is New Year's Eve, and I will not be with you guys, so no episode of Talking Sass next week, but do not fret. I will be back the following week with all brand new episodes and lots of great new content for you guys here on Talking Sass. So don't forget to subscribe and make sure you don't miss a second of Talking Sass in 2021. Now, speaking of subscribing, don't forget to check out my Patreon.com. There's lots of great content there for you guys. So make sure you subscribe, patreon.com slash And also you can go and you can find me on social media and that's SassySeffy on Twitter and Instagram. And if you don't follow me, what's up with that? <laughs> that, of course, is leading into our guest this week for Christmas. It is the one and only Hurricane Shane Helms. And you know what? I have so much that I could say about him, but I mean, do I really need to? Plus, I get into it in the beginning of the podcast anyway with a little introduction there. So here you guys have it, Shane Helms. Hey, guys, welcome back to Talking Sass and happy holidays to you all. I am so excited. As my gift to you, I wanted to bring on a guest who is completely badass. He has competed in every single solitary big company you can name. He's been wrestling for almost 30 years. He's the longest reigning cruiserweight champion of all time. He's a podcaster and an all-around great guy. So guys, get ready and stand back because there's a hurricane coming through. Uh, Thank you for having me on your show. It's about time. I should have been the first (laughs) guest. You know, I wanted to start off with somebody I knew, and I started off with Nevaeh, who's at Impact Wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And she's one of my best friends, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to save Shane for a big episode and Christmas. I thought that was the perfect one to have you on because everybody's going to love it. 
And you know, people are busy at Christmas time. So True. I was like, True. I want to have a nice big guest on somebody that's gonna that people are going to want to listen to, even when they're at, sitting at dinner with their with their families and their friends and giving out Christmas presents. Okay, well, since there might be families listening, I'll try to keep it PG. <laughs> no promises. You know how I am, but I'll try. That's okay. I know what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> now, first off, I want to talk about the other, well, obviously this is pre-recorded. So not that long ago, you posted that you have competed or been a part of every single major company. And we're talking, I wrote them all down because I didn't want to miss one. WCW, WWE, ROH, Impact, AEW. And then I wrote down NWA and ECW because you didn't even list those ones. I yeah. mean, is there anybody else in the world that has done that other than you? I think there might have been a few people that have, but they did like enhancement stuff or, right. or things like that. Uh, that was that was the one category I never did. My strange career, I never did a developmental territory and I never did enhancement matches or anything like that. So uh, when I worked for those companies, it was under contract or as, you know, a guest due to name value. So, and that doesn't mean good. That doesn't mean bad. Like being and doing enhancement work isn't bad at all. It's part of a lot of great people's journeys. Um, but it's just, it wasn't mine for, for whatever reason. But um, yeah, you know, NWA, I did do uh, ECW kind of, sort of, because yeah. I, I had like a, they did a weird house show run with the indie company in Florida that I did. I'm talking about the original ECW. Mm -hmm. And then of course, when uh, the WWE ECW version on, uh, I think it was the sci-fi channel at the time, I was definitely a part of that, but there are some fans that don't consider that ECW, even though it, without a doubt it was just because the company changes owners ownership doesn't mean that that's not the same company. Right. But uh, I, I did just kind of leave that one out for, for whatever reason, but it's been a, you know, I've had a wild ride. It's been pretty crazy. Yeah, well, like I said, almost 30 years. Next year will be 30 years because you started in 1991 as mm -hmm. a 17-year-old kid mm -hmm. coming up in North Carolina. Yeah, you know, I actually uh, got involved in the industry in 1988 when I was 13. Uh, 91 was when I had my first uh, wrestling match. 1990, I was a referee in a I don't know if you saw it, but I put up a picture on Instagram not too long ago of a referee with the Rock and Roll Express, and I was either 15 or 16 years old in that picture. Yeah, you had a nice 80s big blonde oh, yeah. hair going on there. I saw that yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> mullet mania was running wild back then. So It's crazy, because like I saw that picture, and if you wouldn't have said that was you, I would have had no idea that that was you at that time. You really? were so Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, you were scrawny at that time. I mean, most... Yeah. 15 year olds are pretty scrawny at that time, but still. Yeah, well, when I had my first match in, uh, I was 16, I was still wrestling in high school and I was wrestling 125 was the weight class I was in. Oh, so that's then so I had small. my first pro match, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll never see that weight again. Oh, not man. <laughs> well, I would expect a normal man, well, not exactly all normals, because I mean, you see some of the guys on TV now, they're probably 135. Or maybe yeah. I mean maybe not 125, but they're yeah. probably like 135. There's some pretty small guys out there in the business nowadays. Yeah, yeah. The, there's definitely been a shift and uh, almost an overcorrection because I think we've alienated some of the bigger guys in the audience. Because you know wrestling, there used to be a lot of a lot of guys that really uh, a lot of tough guys that liked wrestling because they understood how tough it was. I think we've lost some of those because for so many years it was a big man's business. 
mm-hmm. and they didn't let no no small guys were going to be successful, and, and a lot of that was political. And then there, you know, uh, there's been an, a correction for that, but now it's almost an overcorrection because now there's very few big guys that are even given really good opportunities because if they go out there and they be a big guy, they'll look down upon if they don't bump silly for every teeny tiny guy that comes around. So hopefully one day we'll find a nice little balance <laughs> where everybody is equally uh, represented. Well, but I think know, it's always been a battle in pro wrestling. Yeah. And I agree with that. I'm, as you probably can remember, I'm pretty old school when it comes to my, my storytelling and my matches. And if I'm working somebody who's quite a bit bigger than me, I don't want them to bump. Even if I'm the baby face, at least until it means something more. Yeah. Like, I, you know, if I finally like hit like a cross body off the top and they finally bump for that, that's cool or something. But like, if I'm throwing a clothesline at you and it's the first, you know, five minutes of the match, I don't want you to bump for me. That's crazy in my opinion. Yeah. And like, for me, that's weird sometimes because uh, when I go do shows, no matter who I'm in, people want to see the choke slam for me yeah. because of the character of the hurricane. Like once I choke slam the rock, I'm choke slamming everybody. That's just how it is. But if you take the character out, somebody, uh, my size should not be choke slamming anybody that big. So um, sometimes it's hard for me to kind of educate people on that because they go, well, you choke slam Billy Gunn. I go, yes, I understand that. But once you, once you get over the rules kind of change a little bit, you know, the, the rules are different for Raymond Mysterio. You know, he's super yeah. small, but we all bump, we all going to bump our ass off for Raymond Mysterio. That's just how it is. If you get over like Ray, I'll bump for you like that until then we got to navigate those waters. It's a, it's a very unique business that we're in. Definitely. But I mean, you doing the choke slam. I mean, you're, you're doing it as the hurricane. You're are a superhero. I mean, yeah. that's to be expected. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, you take that a bit further, like, you know, obviously you choke slam the rock, so you can choke slam anybody at that point, yeah. but being a superhero, I mean, maybe not the big show, but I, I, anybody else I would say is pretty much fair game. I'll tell you the, it started with the big show. And here's why. I, I think I've told the story a few times, but it's been a while. Um, Johnny Ace was the agent for that match. Mm-hmm. And he wanted uh, Paul to gorilla press me, Big Show Paul, throw me, and like I land on the top rope on my feet. And I was going, what? <laughs> like, I wasn't sure I could do that. I, I Actually, I'm pretty positive I can. And I was just like, Johnny, wherever he throws me, I'm going to land. I can't really fly. That shit's a gimmick. Wherever he <laughs> throws me, I'm going. And so I'm trying to get out of doing that spot. So we, I know that uh, Big Show is going to gorilla press me. I said, what if I drop behind and I try to choke slam him? And I only came up with that because I didn't want to get thrown on that damn turnbuckle. And then uh, Big Show, like, if Big Show wouldn't have liked the idea, it wouldn't have even happened. But right. if you go back and watch that first time, Big Show's selling of it is what made it because I grabbed him and he was just like, what the hell is this little motherfucker doing? Oh, can I say that? Yeah, sure. It's the internet. (laughs) So I grabbed him and then he even let me throw the arm over and he lets his arm flop over like a fish and his just expression is what gets it over. I was just like, this motherfucker, yeah. And I'm sitting there, it looks like I'm humping his leg trying to get him up, but, uh, you know, got to give credit to Big Show for really helping me get that over. Well, I mean, you've had a lot of crazy fun moments in WWE as the character of the Hurricane. One of my personal favorite, because I was actually in the crowd in Cleveland, with The Rock, 
Oh, yeah? is when you had your Hura powers, bitch, and I just lost it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember how old I was at that time, but that was like the greatest thing that I had ever heard up until that point in time, and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Put that on the shirt for a little while. I couldn't believe they put Biatch <laughs> on the shirt and it was for the superhero. Yeah, it's crazy. I had, I mean, I, I don't want to say growing up because I'm not that much younger than you, but you were in the business obviously for quite a long time. Well, you look a lot younger than me, so, <laughs> well, so you I, got that going for you. I will take that as a compliment, although I don't think you look that old. So either. So I've aged like wine. I started out as a grape and then life stomped the shit out of me. <laughs> if you know how wine is made, you understand that joke. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you just had like this amazing career, especially with The Rock. I mean, I would love to talk about this because you guys did so many skits. And I think that really just took your career to a whole nother level at that point in time. Yeah, that was um, that was one of those things that was really organic. You know, it was only going to be the first night. Um, and for anybody that's heard me tell the story before, I apologize for the repetitiveness, but I mean, it was one of the highlights of my career. So, I, you know, people ask about it a lot, but it was only going to be that first night in Toronto. We were going to do that backstage skit. And then there was going to be a battle royal later that night. And we were both going to be in the match. And so we did the skit and I felt that it went good, but you know, you never know. Right. And so after the skit's over, I'm walking to the locker room because I got to get ready for this battle royal. I get stopped 50 times before I make it to the locker room. Everybody is just like, bro, that was next level. That was the, that's top guy. They was just like, everybody's going crazy about it. And I'm like, okay. Cause you, you know, you get so caught up in the moment. Like I can't really sell what he's saying. I have to stay the hurricane. I can't be the fan when, you know, I, I got to put over some of the stuff he's saying, but I got to put it over as me. If I get lost in the moment, I'll pop, you know what I'm saying? Cause mm -hmm. we were both saying really funny shit, you know? So you gotta <laughs> yeah. be careful not to pop. And so I was like, okay, I'm like, man. So that was a good sign. And then uh, the Battle Royal happened that night and The Rock throws this guy out. He throws this, this guy out, you know. I feel like Maven was one of them and then somebody else. And then when he comes to me, I start firing back. And with just every punch, you could hear the crowd coming. And they're coming and they're coming. And as you well know, you know, you listen to that crowd and you can feel it and it gets you going. And, you know, of course, The Rock ends up uh, taking me out. But I like, I felt super good about that. I'm, I'm just hoping that the office heard it. You know, because you never know. You never know if they really were even paying attention. You know, Vince could have been in a meeting or got a phone call from USA Network at that time. Who knows? Um, because that happens too. But uh, luckily they did. They did notice it. And it just led to another skit and another skit and another skit. But it was only scheduled to be that one night, that first night. And that was going to be it. But it went so well. And Rock, and the main thing was that Rock liked it. Uh, he loved it. And, you know, um, that was the main thing. Like when he uh, took out the phone and said, it's nothing. He says, he knows you. That was my, I, I told him to say that because he was <laughs> going to say, I'm five foot, nothing, a hundred pounds of nothing. And I asked him, I said, you got your phone? And he goes, yeah. And I go, so pull out your phone and say, it's nothing. He says, he knows you. And he's like, oh yeah. And so, because <laughs> I knew, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me that that was a jab on me. If this segment goes good, I know who's getting the rub here. Without a doubt, <laughs> without a doubt, I'm getting the rub. So I want it to be good. I don't care where the where the material comes from, and I just think he appreciated that. And um, you know, fast forward to the Cleveland uh, show, you know, Rock's heading to WrestleMania after that match. He's going to WrestleMania to face Steve Austin, 
and you never see anybody going to WrestleMania going to lose a match. Right. Mark pushed to put me over because there were people in the office and creative that did not want him to lose a match going into WrestleMania. Right. He pushed for that himself because he had, you know, he, he liked me and had faith in my character and you know, he believed in it. And, you know, that's something that is just rare in this business for somebody to really put their neck out for you like that. So uh, I'm going to owe him for the rest of my life. You know, <laughs> every time we talk about it, he's like, man, you don't owe me nothing. But I'm like, bro, I, I kind of feel like I do. But and, uh, so it's just, you know, I'll always be grateful for that. For sure. And I mean, you guys had such great chemistry. And I think that's what led to even more and more and more because you guys had that instant humor with each other that that like I said, that chemistry and not to steal his line or anything, but it was electric, like the fans yeah. felt it and they really got into it. And that really helped, I think, push that along even further for the both of you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you get when you get that kind of natural chemistry, because it doesn't always happen, like sometimes you'll just you'll go back and forth with somebody and you can tell when it's a stinker, you know, you know, <laughs> we, as, as performers, we know when it's not good. And so, you know, luckily the match was good. That's the only time we even did anything like that battle Royal. We threw a couple punches, but that was such a small thing. The first time we ever actually laid hands on each other uh, was that match in, in terms of wrestling. And there was no like house shows to get the, to get each other's timing down, nothing, you know, and, um, and here's something like people don't understand, like all of that pressure is on me, like a hundred percent of it. Because if that match sucks ass, he's still going to be the rock. He's still going to WrestleMania. If that match sucks ass, you're never going to see me again. <laughs> if I if I go out there and stink it up in the main event of Monday Night Raw with the rock, you, I'm done. So all of the pressure's on me. So uh, it was a, it was a, it was a bit nerve wracking, but you know he he was good and uh, you know. Like I say, I'll be I'll be grateful forever for him to him for that. Definitely, I mean that was that was classic. And some more of your classic stuff that I love is was when you first got signed to WCW in 1999. But first, before we get to three count, because like I said, that was great. I want to know, of course, nowadays social media is everything. In 1999, you're about eight years into your, from your first match. Mm-hmm. How does someone get signed at that time? Because there isn't. Facebook, YouTube, and yeah. all these different other websites like Twitter to get yourself over on. So how do you get signed in 1999? It, it was it was really hard to get noticed back then, especially uh, down south. You know, like the northeast area had kind of, that's where PWI and those magazines were um, based around. So, you know, some of the independent territories uh, scenes there would get like a little bit of recognition in the magazines. But down south, it was uh, really hard. And we had these weird machines called VCRs back in the day. <laughs> and you would like have to tape stuff and you would just send these tapes out with these stupid eight by tens and resumes and all of that. And you, most of the time you don't get anything back, you know, and it's just word of mouth. You know, you go to shows without getting booked. And, you know, I did a ton of that, go to shows and not get booked and then, um, would not be booked. And then somebody didn't show up and I go out there, and because I was still so small, it's still a big man's game back then. Mm-hmm. Still so small. All right, all right, we're going to go out there. Just just give me five or six minutes, put up with this guy. And it would be somebody terrible. You know, I mean, you know, just how it is. But if I would go out there and make them look, you know, really good. And the promoter's like, oh, okay, we got something here, you know. Um, but like the independent scene in those days, in 91, when I first started, was a nightmare. You know, what the guys, you know, pre-COVID era. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, pre-COVID era, I mean, the COVID era sucks for everybody. So let's just not talk about that. But as far as pre, the indie scene for the last 10 years is heaven compared to, to what I went through. And, you know, when I hear some old timers, like, you know, they, they get, you know, they talk about how guys have it easy and they're a little bitter about that. I'm the exact opposite. I don't want nobody to have to go through what, what I went through to get there. Because before I met Matt Jeff and all of them, I was like the only little guy in North Carolina. And <laughs> all of these big guys would try to fight me all the time. It was just one train wreck after another. And like, they would agree to shit in the locker room uh, stuff. And I was like, okay, I was like, we're gonna go out and have a good match. I go to lock up, they would kick me in the belly, start trying to fight me. And the next thing you know, I'm punching the shit out of them because I'm not backing down from nothing. Size, it doesn't matter. You know, the redneck Shane Helms is a real thing. And it <laughs> will come out. And by the time I met Matt and Jeff, they, you know, my independent name was Kid Vicious. And so by the time I met them, they'd heard about me. And they thought I was like this little shooter that wanted to fight everybody. <laughs> but because of a couple of things that happened to them too, they realized that, no, it was just me fighting back. It wasn't me starting any of this shit, but uh, it was me going, okay, you might beat me up, but you're going to know my name when we're done. By the end of this fight, you're going to know who I am, and we can do this the easy way the hard way. And uh, so, yeah, like the independent scene back in those days was, it was rough. And, um, but uh, like I say, around 95, 96, I think it was when I met Matt and Jeff, and, you know, um, 96, 97, like WCW, their cruiser weight division really started to take off. And that kind of changed the business for a lot of people. You started to see a lot of these uh, smaller guys getting opportunities. And then I started to get a chance to work with other people my size. And I didn't have to worry about fighting them every, every night. Now, the first time I wrestled Shannon Moore, he was terrified because he'd heard all the rumors about me. He thought I was going to go in there and stretch the shit out of him because I had an amateur background too. And there wasn't a lot of that down south either. You know, so he thought I was going to go in there and just, you know, drop him on his head. I was like, no, man, I got you. And we go out there and have this really good match. And then we become like really close friends after that. And, um, but yeah, crazy. Yeah. Cause it is a totally different world. Even from, I got started in 2007 and the way the world is just in these last, not quite 15 years, like 13, 14 years, it's changed dramatically. So you know, you're doubling that for your career. So imagine, you know, the differences. Because like when I came in, there wasn't a lot of women professional wrestlers on the independent scene. You had your few that were at ROH that were really good caliber women that you could look up to. Your Sarah Del Rey's, your Daisy Hayes's, your Allison Dangers, and so on. But like the girls on the independent scene that weren't there were kind of okay, am I going to get hurt because this girl's dating this guy and she didn't really train and all that kind of oh, stuff. So, but girl, that has changed. The, yeah, some of the girls I saw in the early days were nightmares. And like, uh, I caught a little bit of flack for this because a company, uh, I feel like it was like maybe two years ago, I put out a tweet about something and it was in the midst of the women's revolution. I was just like, you know, uh, back, in my, back in my early days, there was nothing like this. Like the women, they just weren't that good. And people mm -hmm. thought I meant my early WWE career. So they thought I was talking about like Lita and Trish. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. I, I was in the business. Uh, so I went to WWE in 2001. I was in the business 10 years before WWE. I'm talking about the indie days. And it would be some, and it was kind of, it was a novelty. Mm -hmm. And so they wouldn't, 
some of the girls didn't even have the opportunities to train. So it wasn't necessarily their fault, you know, uh, and mm -hmm. promoters would say, hey, she's a pretty girl. Just put her in there. Hey, just go do something. You know, nobody will care. I'd seen those conversations. And I'm like, man, you can really get hurt doing this. There's no people that are trained get hurt all the time. So untrained yeah. people have a greater risk of getting hurt. And so it was really, it was an unfair uh, environment for women to, to begin with because mm -hmm. they didn't have nowhere near the opportunities. And then if they did, it was like, yeah, you know, just go shake your butt a little bit. Like I, I saw those conversations happen. And so, you know, around that time when I started to see, you know, when I first met Amy and you started to see uh, a different level of not only talent, but the number of women being involved, because it's just like anything, just give people a chance. If they suck, okay, hey, we tried. Yeah. You know, at, at least give them a chance. And, you know, so it's been really cool. It's, like you see it in MMA as well. Like how well, how good uh, women's MMA is, or female MMA is just like, sometimes that's way better than the men's. Actually, most of the time, you know, they go out there and kill each other. Well, I feel like, I feel like, especially in the MMA world, like the women really feel like they have to go out there and really brutally get in each other's faces because the men do get the attention for the most part. Mm -hmm. And then you have this one, maybe two now we're getting, we're getting more women's matches in UFC and, and so on, but they're really intense. Like even so, mm -hmm. more than some of the undercard, once you get to the higher card, you see more little intensity from the men, but like on the undercard where you don't get like the promos and stuff, it's like, okay, you're just going out there to have a fight, but these girls are actually like real intense into getting into it because they know they want to take it to that next level. Like a Ronda Rousey did or a whole, a Holly Holm. Yeah. Yeah. I got to present an award at the, uh, the world MMA awards last year. And I was just like, oh man, what are they going to, you know, I was just, I was just honored that they invited me to do that. You know, uh, they found out I was a big, you know, MMA, well, I've been an MMA fan since UFC won. So, uh, but I got to present uh, an award to Amanda Nunez. Nice. And I was just like, oh yeah. Like, cause I was so excited cause she's, she's incredibly badass. So I was really excited about that. Definitely. And I mean, I know you have like a huge love of sports. I mean, you, you got, who's your favorite football team right now? Are they doing well? No. Um, no. <laughs> you know, I grew up a Washington fan. Now they're called the Washington football team. Yeah. Uh, and so when the Panthers came, cause in North Carolina, we didn't have a team. When I was a kid. Right. So when the Panthers came to town, I was torn for all of these years because, um, you know, I didn't want to just give up on the team I'd supported my whole life. You know, so I was torn between the Panthers and Washington. And then when Washington made the big change to the football team, I was like, all right, this might be a time for me to try to make a clean break to the Panthers. But I still end up watching a little bit of Washington. But they both I, – and I would get some flack for that. People like, you like two, you like two teams? I'm like, yeah, but they both suck. So it ain't like – it's not a bandwagon <laughs> thing. It's like double the pain. Yeah. You know, every, well, every, every 10 years, one of the teams will do good. But for the most part, they're – yeah, I feel your pain there. I'm with you as a Cleveland Oh, yeah, Browns yeah. Fan. I'm sure you get it worse. Yeah, <laughs> this year, not so bad so far. This year, not so bad. I mean, we're still not in playoff contention, which I know, like I said, I record this a few weeks ahead of time. We're right now six and three, and we're not even in playoff contention just because we're in the same division with the Baltimore Ravens and the uh, Steelers. So it's just, it's miserable for us. Even when we do good, we still can't win. See, and it our division, the NFC East, is the exact opposite. All four teams are just absolute trash. <laughs> so you can win that division and still just be one of the worst teams in the league. Oh, man. That's crazy. Well, let's talk more about your wrestling career because that's really what we're here about. And 
So, like I said, in 99, you went to WCW, and I was the biggest boy band fan in the world, probably, in 1999 with NSYNC, Backstreet Boys. I even loved Hanson. I loved the ones that no one's ever heard of. Like, you know, well, not that no one's ever heard of, but the ones that were, like, on the, on the lower scale, like BB Mac and stuff like that. So when you guys came in as three count, I loved it. I know you guys were making fun of it. It was a whole parody thing, but I still enjoyed all of that. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> that was a bit of a challenge, but we had fun. You know, I knew it was an opportunity. It was uh get my toe in the door. So I wasn't going to say no, you know, Jimmy Hart, we had a trial match, me and Shannon, we were doing a gimmick in Memphis called the bad street boys. Mm-hmm. And uh, me, Shannon, uh, Joy Mercury and Christian York. And then like, uh, here's the great, here's the great thing about this story is, so I found out that Chris Canyon was helping hire cruiserweights. I can't remember exactly how I found that out, but I got that piece of information through the grapevine. Eric Mm -hmm. Bischoff was trying to do this new thing to bring in more American cruiserweights because they had a bunch of luchadors, you know, they had like Alex Wright, who isn't really a cruiserweight, but and they had some uh, Japanese cruiserweights, but they didn't have a lot of Americans. So Mm -hmm. they were looking for more of that. And so, I caught wind of that. And so I told Shannon, we should send in a tape. Well, Shannon sends in a tape of just himself. <laughs> <laughs> Little motherfucker. We've been teaming. <laughs> we've been teaming for months. And he sends in the tape of just himself. But it was all right. Um, and Shannon's tape, like Shannon, like a really couldn't wrestle at that point. You know, he, but his highlight reel, his high spots were just incredible. You know, because Matt had made us all like music videos, uh, highlight reel music videos. Yeah. And Shannon is just like, and this was, uh, like I say, 99. Um, and so you didn't see a lot of the stuff that you see in every match now. You didn't see it quite as much back then. Yeah. And, you know, Shannon, a young, good-looking kid, looked like Hanson since you mentioned Hanson. He got that. <laughs> he used to come out the umbop, as a matter of fact. Um, That's amazing. Uh, when he was younger. So he sent in that tape, and uh, he basically got hired off that tape. Just like you, just they were so excited about that. And uh, so Canyon asked him, um, and here's what Shannon came through for me like a champ. Um, Canyon goes, you, is there anybody else, you know, you can, um, you can suggest. And he's like, yeah, 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 Shane Helms, he's one of the best around here. And so they brought us down for a tryout match. And they brought us down for one tryout match. And I forget where it was, like South Carolina, uh, Georgia, something, something of that, one of those two places. Uh, but that was the Monday after Owen fell. Owen fell on oh. a Sunday. And so Bischoff wasn't there. So we did this match, this uh, dark match, whatever, but Bischoff didn't even see it. And so I went home and I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, it was like, I'm not going to call and bug him, you know, after that, because he had, you know, all the reason in the world not to be there. So I didn't know mm-hmm. what was going to happen. But then I get a call like Thursday or Friday, and now they're going to fly me down. Somebody must have saw it. So they're going to fly me to Houston for another trial match, me and Shannon. And I'm sitting there going, man, they're going to fly us in for a trial match. You know, normally, you know, you know how local enhancement oh, yeah. matches work. You got to drive there. It's got to be local. So I took that as a good sign. And we get there and we're going to work uh, Cass Hayashi and Blitzkrieg in this new uh, dark match. Mm-hmm. And me and Shannon are going over. And I'm sitting there going, well, that's wow. pretty odd. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we go out, we do the match, we, cut, we go over. I walk through the curtain and they offer me a deal right there. And I was going, was that easy? I wish I should have done this shit years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I sign? Just let me know. And um, yeah, so we did that, and uh, we did like um, it was either that night or 
No, no, let me back up. The, the week before we did the Monday and we did a, the Tuesday, they did like some kind of tapings for Saturday night or something. They did some mm-hmm. kind of other thing. And we had a match and Seema was in the match. And I remember that Seema from Dragon Gate. That's that Seema. And, um, and after it was over, Jimmy Hart came over to me and Jimmy, three count was his idea. And so he's, Shannon was uh, dressed all raggedy because Shannon was in his grunge look for whatever reason. He's just, you know, Shannon. Yeah. He just does his, he does his thing and it works for him, you know, but I had on nice clothes <laughs> and I remember Jimmy go, uh, can we, uh, get some, some, you know, clothes for your partner? <laughs> and I'm like, no, he has, he has clothes. This is like, this is intentional. He goes, okay, baby. Okay, baby. He goes, well, can y'all sing? And I go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was saying, I didn't give a shit why he asked me. Yeah. Can you dance? Oh yeah. 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 And so, uh, he goes, well, I got this other kid. <laughs> he goes, you two guys will be the workers. <laughs> <laughs> imagine that and um he goes and he told me the idea and i goes yeah yeah sounds great you know I'm, i was down for i was just saying yeah yes sir whatever you want i'll be there and uh that's kind of how it happened well that's a story not that story but that's what i hear from a lot of people whatever they ask just say yes and learn it as fast as you can like i remember i think I obviously haven't talked to Santino, but I think Santino didn't even know Italian before he went over, but they're like, can you speak Italian? He's like, oh yeah, no problem. I think I heard that on a podcast somewhere. So then he goes over to Italy <laughs> and has to, has to speak Italian to, you know, get out of the crowd and wrestle and then become the IC champion. <laughs> I'll tell you, when they, uh, even better, when they brought that motorcycle to the building, they, Vince goes, can you ride this thing? And I go, yeah. I'd never ridden a motorcycle in my life. <laughs> and the second he walked away, I was like, yeah, somebody's got to teach me how to ride this. Who taught you how to ride it? One of the stunt guys there taught me how to ride <laughs> it. But it had the sidecar in it. The sidecar was attached to it. So yeah. it was kind of like a three-wheeler. So it was a little easier than okay. just a regular. But yeah, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and later on that day, like if nobody's, if somebody's in the car, it's real easy. If somebody's in the sidecar, because then it uh, evens out the balance. Yeah. But if nobody's in it, that fucker will turn over. Like if you turn, like if the sidecar is on your right and you turn right, that damn thing will pop up and it'll dump your ass. So you got to be, it's, it's tricky. And so I was out in the parking lot practicing and Mick Foley walks up and I go, hey, buddy, you want to ride? He goes, yeah. And he jumps in and I, he goes, how long you been riding? I go, today's my first day. And I just took off. <laughs> <laughs> He's over there like, what the fuck? I can only imagine his face at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> I wish somebody would have taken a picture or had a video camera going at that point in time because I'm sure that would be classic everywhere and anywhere that it was seen. Yeah, that's probably as hardcore as Mick was. There might have been a little pee in the pants on that. <laughs> oh, man. I love it, man. There's so many great things to talk to you about. So let's talk about 2006. You won the Cruiserweight Championship. And you are the longest reigning cruiserweight champion of all time. That is unless WWE brings that back in the future, but let's hope not because that is a pretty cool title to have. Yeah. Yeah. And that was uh, that was something too, that was uh, just kind of happened. Um, I don't think that was ever the plan, but I had a good run. Uh, and that particular part of my career was probably my best body of work in terms of in ring, what I was doing. Um, and I was really trying to be a heel then, you know, something that's still missing from the business is people that you actually hate, not the mm-hmm. tweeners, you know, not the people that sell t-shirts, sell merchandise. I didn't want people chanting my name. 
I didn't want this is awesome chance. I didn't want any of that. And it was difficult because I came from this really beloved character. I yeah. didn't really have a good heel turn. I just got to find ways to make people hate me now. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was good. You know, it was a good run. Um, and it just came a point too, where, you know, I'm working, uh, I'm wrestling the heavyweight champion. I'm wrestling the United States champion. I'm teaming with this guy for the world tag team titles. The whole time I got that cruiserweight title. So it was visible. It was more visible. I feel like that year than it was for just about anybody. And, you know, tried to bring a lot of relevance to it. And, uh, then there came, and I tried to lose it. There was a couple of times I'm like, man, this is uh, we need to get some interest around a title. You know, I wanted to lose mm-hmm. it to Jimmy Yang. I wanted to, uh, you know, I suggested bringing in different people. I tried to get Generico hired. I tried to get uh, Austin Aries hired. Some uh, a couple other people um, to bring in to challenge me for it because I there was a point when I felt like I beat all the other cruiserweights at least 15 times. <laughs> so I need new challenges. Yeah, um, definitely. And then. Uh, but they wanted to keep it on me and they, you know, they still had good plans and stuff. And then Vince, Vince pulled me to the side and he's like, yeah, you've, you've outgrown this title. And he, you know, he didn't mean physically, which, I mean, I was always a bigger cruiserweight anyway, but mm-hmm. he just meant in terms of my place on the card that I've, I've outgrown that championship and uh, things, there were other plans in the work. And then, uh, then I broke my neck and I yeah. went, yeah. Then you had a big, Ooh. then yeah. I just disappeared. And, I don't know if you told me the story or if I even have it correct, because I believe it was you. You were doing push-ups, and all of a sudden, you couldn't do one, correct? And then I think it yeah. was Chris Benoit who was yeah. like, you need to get your neck checked, right? Yeah, yeah. We had a, uh, we had a double shot, actually, uh, two mm-hmm. shows in one day there. And I was in the bag doing push-ups, and it was like, oh, my third one. And I was sitting there pushing up as hard as I could. And I said, like, what the fuck? And like, it wasn't, I wasn't in, you know, when you hear somebody's break, broke their neck, you just think, uh, massive pain and it fucked up. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we're always beat up. So for me, you know, and I, I remember I was, I was really in bad shape at that time because I, I was just achy, but I thought it was just because I hadn't had a break. I wasn't mm-hmm. a guy that asked for time off. You know, I was just working, working, working. And I had a bump heavy style, even as a baby face or a heel, I'm a guy that bumps, you know? And so I thought I was just beat up. I mean, and I was, but I thought it was yeah. just, you know, wrestling beat up. So like I say, I'm doing push-ups. I don't know about that third or fourth one. I can't, I can't really push up. And it's like, man, what the fuck is this? And I'm sitting there and I start to like um, try to flex my tricep and it won't constrict. My, my tricep won't get hard. And I'm sitting there going, what the? And Ben Wad just happened to be there watching me. And he always chewed these little coffee stirrers. Like he drank like a thousand cups of coffee a day. So he always had these little coffee gimmicks in his mouth. And he's just like, it's your neck. He said, just like that. He's like, get your neck, you get your neck checked out. And so I wrestled, uh, no, we had the double shot the next day. So I wrestled that night twice the next day. And then we got TV in Baltimore. And I remember like the last match on the one night, uh, it was me and Chavo, you know, uh, they put me, me and Chavo in a two on one against Kane. Like, cause nobody really knew how bad it was. They just know I was banged up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Chavo was like, I'll do all the work. And I was like, all right, man, appreciate it. But then I got out there and I just was just having these thoughts. I'm like, man, if this is going to be it, I ain't going out on this apron like no little bitch. Which <laughs> is so stupid, this macho ass. You know how we are. And so I tagged me in. He's like, no. And like, I got tagged in and I just went there and started bumping all over the place like a damn maniac. You know, I wanted, if that's how I was going to go out, I wanted to go out on a good performance. Yeah. 
And so now TV's in Baltimore, and they've scheduled two MRIs for me, one for my neck and one for my back, because they really don't know what's happening here. Mm-hmm. So they do my neck. So I had to do two MRIs back to back. If you've never done one, it's like an annoying anyway. Yeah, very so, claustrophobic. Yeah. You are? No, no. I'm saying being in – I've never had an oh, yeah, MRI, yeah. but I've seen yeah. it. Like, you're, you're yeah. tight. Oh, I, fall, I can fall asleep anywhere, so I fell asleep in that damn thing. But it is loud as hell. But um, they did my neck, and now they're doing the back one. And it was apparently it was my neck was so bad that they're scheduling surgery before I've even finished the one on my back. Oh. And so I get out, and they're like, and I'm just sitting there talking to these doctors, and like their damn faces are like, you know, <laughs> like we don't know what to tell you. This is fucked up. It was so bad we couldn't do a storyline. That's why I didn't have like uh, you know, normally when somebody's going to disappear, there's going to be an attack. Some shit right. like that. They they couldn't risk anything. They were worried about the flight because the surgeon was in the best surgeon in the country at that time was in San Antonio. Okay. So they're worried about the flight there. They, wow. Any kind of turbulence because t- uh, my vertebrae were about to sever my spine. Was what had happened. My vertebrae was so fucked up they were going to sever my spine, my spinal cord. And if your spinal cord severs, you either die or you're paralyzed. That's generally what happens. Mm. Neither one of those things sounds good. No, neither. It's, uh, but I couldn't drive from Baltimore to San Antonio either. I'm like, oh, that shit will kill me, you know? And so uh, we did We did the flight, but uh, the surgery went good, good surgeon. And, uh, you know, but then I was just gone. I came back. Uh, it took 18 months to come back. Well, I mean, if you are that badly injured where your spine might be severed, if you yeah. continue the way you're going, to come back in 18 months, that's got to be nothing short of a miracle. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you – it's one of those things, you know, like, uh, I mean, this business beats, beats us to death, you know, and it's, I try to tell young, young, younger talent, like every bump you take hurts you, whether you feel it or not. Because mm-hmm. for me, there was no one traumatic thing. It wasn't like I took a power bomb to the floor. It's just years and years and years, mm-hmm. years and years of just shoulder tackles, years and years of just drop toe holds, years and years of these easy bumps but they all do damage on a micro level and it just adds up. It adds up over time. So that's what I say. Every bump hurts whether you feel it or not. You might not feel it now, but there'll come a day when you're going to feel every fucking thing all at once, <laughs> you know, cause they did, they could tell by the shading that my neck was broke for at least four months. Oh my goodness. And so that four months, I'm one of the most bump heavy talents in the business. Yeah. And I'm on every show. I'm on every house show. Every pay-per-view, every TV, I'm out there bumping my ass off. So it could have been a lot worse in, in that regard, but, you know, uh, luckily it won. And then I, I did come back. And I don't think I've ever been 100%. I don't think you nobody is, no matter what they say. I don't think you ever get quite to be back 100%. But, um, you know, I was lucky enough to make it back. So well, That's an amazing story and a testament to how well you keep yourself in shape. Because obviously, if you're not – taking care of your body for the majority of that time. I mean, obviously you didn't know you had a broken neck for nearly four months, but you're keeping care of your body, meaning your body is going to be able to, you know, heal faster. You're taking care of yourself, meaning you're getting the, probably the rest that you much needed at that point in time too. I was, I was trying, you know, but (laughs) I was a, I was a wild child at that time too, though. So who knows what all factored into it. That was the time of my career when, you know, I was in that, Ric Flair horseman mode where I'm going to go out and it started in the hurricane days when I really popped. I was just going to go out there, have a good match. And I was going to go to a club or to the hotel bar 
and I wanted to have a fun night too. And so I was a, I had a rock star a couple of years around that time in my life. So that could have factored into it. Who knows? Right. Well, speaking of those rock star styles, there's been a couple of times where we've been in the same vicinity at the same time and we've had a good couple of nights. One of my favorites is back at WrestleMania 30. And hopefully you remember this. We're all out on Bourbon Street, me, my husband, your uh, Karen, your wife. And uh, we went to a strip club together and we were having a grand old time. <laughs> I remember something about that. <laughs> the alcohol was flowing quite, quite a bit there. Yeah, I know we, uh, we missed our flight home there. Oh my that. gosh, really? Yeah, because uh, we stayed out and there was a time when we looked at our watch and like our flight was like at 7.30 or something like that. Yeah. And it was 6 a.m. And we're still out on Bourbon Street. Like, <laughs> like, wait a minute. We haven't packed. <laughs> we don't. And so, uh, yeah, we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't make that one. And at um, that, that point, it was just like the hell with us. Yeah, exactly. And it's so much fun. WrestleMania weekends. But that one in particular, every single solitary wrestling person, fan, broadcaster, whatever, is all on the same street yeah. at the same time having the biggest amount of fun that they could possibly have yeah we had we had a that one that one was a that was a highlight when i remember like just having that what was that the club did uh did, did my karen make it up on the stage at some point yes she did yeah. <laughs> i think i think at that point i think they asked us to leave at one point because i think she was making more money than anybody else in the bar and she wasn't even taking off her clothes yeah, she, that is, yeah she's she's a, that's nothing. She does nothing like that. She just gets up there and starts dancing. Great. You guys are such a blast. And another yeah. story, I have, like I said, I told you earlier, I have four personal stories that I wanted to share just because I love them. So it doesn't quite go along with that, but I want to know if you remember this story because this night was so funny. We were both working the CWF show in Burlington, North Carolina, and we're upstairs in the locker room. And we're buddies with the guy that runs it, Jeff. And he gets called away because somebody had called the cops because there was a black man being attacked. And that was Eric Royal. Do you remember this at all? Do I need to jog your mind? No, I don't remember this. <laughs> okay, so we're all upstairs and we're all, you know, doing our thing, watching the show if we can. And Eric Royal is a black man who's in the ring. He's a professional wrestler. He's you know, getting jumped by, I think there was like five or six guys at that point in time jumping him, but in the ring, this is obviously storytelling. This isn't, this is part of the show. <laughs> so they the, call cop, the cops, they, somebody call the cops <laughs> and reminder, we're in the South. Okay. We're yeah. in North Carolina. So somebody calling the cops because a black man's being jumped isn't a very frequent story to be told. Right. So Jeff comes downstairs, talks to the cops, and I don't remember what was happening the rest of the night, but Jeff was like, look, if you are here, you might as well stay here to be entertained because if this is bad, wait till later in the show. <laughs> There's going to be something more worse, so you might as well just stay here and enjoy the show. Oh, well. I, I don't know. It seems like now, now that you say that, I do remember something about that. So I'm going to uh, I'm gonna have to call Jeff tomorrow and get, <laughs> get more info on that. It does. There is a... I get dropped on my head a lot, but I do recall something about that. Yeah, I was, I like, every time I think of that story, like, I don't remember what was happening later. Like, I feel like Tracy Smothers was on that show, but I don't think he, I don't think we were ever at CWF, but it was somebody like a redneck character that was going to be out later, I think. And it was just going to get much worse from there. So, yeah. but 
hilarious and I, I miss Eric such a such a fun guy yeah. to be around yeah but that was one story I was like oh man I will never ever forget this <laughs> and I wasn't even a part of it that's what CWM is one of my favorite companies to work with oh you know, they're so much fun I uh, even on one of their shows one time I went this is when I was hurricane and one of my but uh, Michael Yamaha's in the ring yeah and so uh, Chuck Coates who was Mad Max uh, had a Russian assassin hood and him and another guy are going to run in and attack Mike. And so I asked him, did he have another one? And so I put on a Russian assassin hood and ran out there and was attacking Michael. Like, and I had a pay-per-view that weekend <laughs> with WWE. And here I am in this independent show, just attacking one of my friends. who's like, didn't even realize it was me at first. And none of the fans knew. That's the great thing about mass characters, especially one like that. You can just go in and do whatever you want and nobody's none the wiser. Oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, so another so, story that I have to share with you, and I don't know if you'll remember this one. We were doing a convention out in uh, LA. Okay. And you, I think this is right around the time I first met you and Karen. And you guys were so nice, so warm and open to me, even though I was like, I, I saw the dark hair, so I remember that. Uh -huh. So this is probably my second or third year in the business. And you guys invite me to have dinner with you at the hotel. Okay. And then me, I'm still starstruck at, at you being inviting me to dinner because I'm like, oh, my God, it's the hurricane. <laughs> but I'm trying to keep my cool. And then it just so happens that Edge is in L.A. And uh -huh. this is the hotel that he's staying at. And you see oh. him checking in. Yeah. Wrestle, uh, Wrestle Reunion. Yes, and yes. he is the world heavyweights champion at the time. <laughs> and he didn't even know that convention was going on in that hotel. He had no idea. Yep. So you go running after him, and he's like, why are you even here? So then you tell him there's a convention going on, yes. and you invite Edge to come over and sit with us for dinner. So again, me, I'm two, three years in the business. I'm already popping in my head because I'm having dinner with Shane and his girlfriend, and now you're bringing the world heavyweight champion <laughs> over, and I think... I think tape, uh, SmackDown was taped at that time. I think even SmackDown was playing in the bar. And I'm just like, I am living my best life right here. <laughs> wow, that was a fun weekend. I wrestled, uh, what was the, uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla was, did, did a show that weekend too. Yeah, I, that think, was a, that, I had a lot of good stories there uh, that weekend. My favorite though, well, this is only favorite because it was silly. I have two favorite stories from there because they yeah. had a Legends Battle Royal. And, yeah. Like, so I was going to wrestle as... Um, because when I left WWE, I was going to try to do something new that wasn't Hurricane. So I had taken off the mask and I was called the, uh, I don't know, oh, fuck, I don't remember what it was. But it was something where I was trying to just be myself, but I had a similar, a red version of my costume on. Mm -hmm. yeah, but nobody smartened me up that PWG would like hate WWE guys. Mm -hmm. Some weird shit, you know, like, uh, it's so weird because they're, so, they're an indie friendly company. And I guess my story, because I didn't really glorify my indie story. So nobody, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't, still don't understand what I went through. But in terms of paving the way for indie guys, I don't think many people paved the way as much as I did. So if they known that, maybe they wouldn't have turned on me as much as they did. Right. And so I was like, but whatever. So I, the, and the guy I was working with at the time, I was just like, well, let me just be the heel. And he's like, no, no, no. And I'm going, what the fuck ever. But anyway, I get through the match. And it was fine, but not one of my favorite matches of all time, but it was fine. And so, and the idea was that uh, later on in the night, I come out as Hurricane in this Legends Battle Royal. And so I go to the promoter and I was like, fuck that. I'm not coming out as Hurricane. 
I'm still coming out as me, but play my hurricane music. Mm-hmm. And I was like, because these motherfuckers ain't working me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm working them. That's what's going to happen. And so they played the stand back music. And uh, I was called Supernatural Shane Helms was what the, the name was. They played the stand back music and they did pop for that a little bit. But I walk out like flipping the birds like, fuck y'all. I remember <laughs> y'all booing me earlier tonight. And so they have all these legends in this match. And I'm just bumping and feeding for all of them. Putting all these guys over, and even and like Terry Funk was the one that was going to eliminate me, and he forgot his spot. He goes, "God damn kid, I forgot the spot," and he punched me right in the forehead. <laughs> like, okay, but um, that was my favorite part because I was in there with like all these legends, and I'm the one that's getting the heel reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I enjoyed that, but also my favorite, like from a personal standpoint, uh, moment is uh, DDP was there, and mm-hmm. I had this bottle of water that uh. Karen had put vodka in for me because I didn't want little kids to see because I'm done working now. I'm done. I'm off the clock. Yeah. It's time for me to it's time for me to have a drink. And so I put vodka in this water bottle and DDP's over there sweating like a damn, you know, he's just sweating like hell. And so I look at him and say, Hey man, you need some water. <laughs> he goes, Yeah. <laughs> and he turned that shit up and got about three huge gulps. And that shit burned him all the way down. <laughs> he's like, bro, bro. That's fantastic. I about killed his ass. Oh. And then later, we went from there to the bar. So that was that same night. Yeah, definitely. I remember I had a lot of great personal stories that weekend, too. Um, the Legends Battle Royal that you mentioned earlier in the day when I was a kid growing up, Papa Shango scared the crap out of me. It like, I would have nightmares over him and he was there and he dressed up as Papa Shango. And I got to have my moment where I got my picture of Papa Shango. I was so excited about it. And then was he in that battle royal? Yeah. He came out as the Godfather. Okay. Yeah. So he actually asked me like later after he did it, uh, took off all the makeup and everything. He's like, Hey, do you want to be, you know, a lot of the girls that did the arena chick show, the Amber O'Neill stuff, Uh, they're going to be hoes that night. Would you want to be a hoe? And I was like, no, I had my moment. It was Papa Shango. I'm good. <laughs> now I kind of no. regret it because I'm like, oh my God, that would have been a blast to come out as a hoe. But still, you know what I mean? It was just like, I had my moment. My moment, like that whole weekend for me was like, oh my God, this is the best thing. Like, how did I get myself into this situation? Because I'm around all these people that I absolutely love. When, uh, when Matt did the uh, Halloween Hardy special or whatever, it's on the WWE Network. Yeah. He had Papa Shango come out. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the only time I've ever seen it live, him as Papa Shango. And so I was in the ring just watching him come out and Brad Attitude was like, look at you, look at you, Mark, out. <laughs> Cause I never saw it. I was just like, Oh, cause I loved him too. And I was just like, Oh, yeah. like Papa Shango. I got a good host story if you want to hear it. Just yeah, go life. for it. So uh, do you know, uh, you ever met Molly Holly, Nora? Yes. I love her. Okay. We actually did a show you and her on remix in Ohio. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I can't remember shit. That's and right. then, I, then I will remember <laughs> random stories like this out of nowhere. So uh, this we were doing a personal appearance together, uh, Hurricane and uh, Mighty Molly. And, and so we went baggage claim, and I saw a limo outside. And I said, I said I'm going to go ahead and go out to the limo. I said, you good? And she goes, yeah. Because she know, she wasn't somebody you could carry your bags. Because I was like, hey, you need any help? No, no, no. Yeah. She refused to be that female that let it, uh, let a guy. She wanted to, you know, she was very independent in that. So, and I knew about I knew it, so. I'd done asked her 15 times earlier in our team in areas, hey, you need any help? So I'm going out to the limo. I go to the limo, uh, the the driver opens the uh, door. I look in and there's these three women in there. 
and they got the thigh highs, the garters, the gimmicks are sticking out, and I'm going, I was like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, it's not, not my car. And they go, are you Hurricane? And I go, yeah. And they go, no, this is your car. And I'm going, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I go, and then I look back and I see Nora coming. And for those of you that don't know, Nora is super religious. Super religious, yeah. so I'm looking at her and I'm looking at these women and I just go, and here's what I could have warned her. <laughs> but I didn't. I just go, this is going to be good. And so I just get in the car and, and then she gets in and she's just so confused and I'm confused too. We don't know what the fuck is happening here. And then I go, oh, you're the Godfather hose. And they go, what? <laughs> and then I go, oh. And uh, I say, y'all not with the Godfather? And they go, no, we're with the radio station. The radio station that booked this appearance has sent these girls to be with us because they were pro wrestlers going to be there. So I don't know. <laughs> and it was a heavy, it was like a rock station or whatever. And these were the rock girls. And I'm sitting there going, I just put my foot way down. My mouth <laughs> I just called them hoes, right? But Nora, Nora is a professional. She goes, oh, well, what we do is we hire these beautiful actresses to portray themselves as hoes for a character on our show called The Godfather. So she really saved me in that aspect because <laughs> I totally just insulted the shit out of her. But I didn't. It was from a, a I, I was just naive. I didn't know. But yeah. then we get to this appearance and, you know, Hurricane and Mighty Molly, we got a bunch of kids. Yeah. And we got these women in thongs hanging out. Now, if it was just Shane, I wouldn't care. But I'm sitting there <laughs> going, we got to get these women out of here. This is, uh, <laughs> you know, I got like five-year-old little boys and girls walking around. I can't have these women out here. So we end up having a, having a shit cam. Oh, man, that's a fantastic story. It was such, I could have warned her, too. That The funniest part of me was me Look, the part I remember the most was looking at her looking back in that car at those girls and then saying, fuck it. <laughs> oh, such an asshole. Oh, man. So I see, speaking of being, you've had a lot of partners within the wrestling business. And I noticed the wall behind you, you have Rosie, I see there. You have Ric Flair right above your shoulder as well. And I just want to point out, because this also leads into one of my stories, right above my head, somewhere in this general vicinity, you watch uh -huh. over me in every, every show that I do, because that show, we actually brought you in here in okay. Montreal, because when my husband met you, he's like, oh my God, he met you at New Orleans <laughs> when we were there. Okay. So we go out to the strip club. He's like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, Shane's so cool. He's so personal. So down to earth. He's like, let's ask him if he'll come in for our show. Cause what we do is at that time we we're doing a show for, it was called resilience and our nephew actually has a kidney and bladder disease. And we asked you to come in to do a benefit for the hospital. Then all the, not all the money, but the majority of the money was going to be uh, given to their nephrology center and help build a nephrology center, which obviously our nephew uses quite frequently. So you being the awesome person that you are, and I don't know if, I mean, we get to hear about your stories, these funny stories, the sarcastic, the fun, but I don't know if we ever get to hear like just the good nature, Shane, that you are. So I want to put this story over big for you because I just couldn't believe it. It's such an amazing thing. We ask you to come in for the show and we're like, what's your price? You know, what do you need? Let's do this. And you're like, yeah, of course I'll come in. All you have to do is fly me and my girl in. And then, you know, I'll do this and this and that's it. And we're like, okay, great. You come in. 
you work the show. It's my husband, another guy, and you in a triple threat match. My husband's out first, and there's a heel in you. And then you bring in my nephew, who I think at the time was like eight years old, and you actually have him pin the heel guy, which was so cool. He was so nervous. He obviously didn't know this was happening. My nephew was like, what is going on? <laughs> like a deer in headlights. So sweet. And then at the end of the night, you end up giving us half of the merchandise that you, that you made that night. You gave us half that money to give towards the hospital. Mm. And I mean, Shane, I thank you then. I thank you now. And just your good nature and the way that you've always treated people around you is just amazing. And I just want to thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, yeah, you don't really, uh, it, you know, good news doesn't spread as, as much as bad news. If I'm an asshole to somebody, now you'll hear about that <laughs> all day long. But, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you guys were great. You know, it was, uh, um, you know, anytime you can give back, you know, uh, I try to do as much as I can, you know, um, so I don't know. I don't even know what to say. See, here's where, here's where, I, here's where <laughs> I get speechless. I don't know how to take those kind of compliments. <laughs> but no, I mean, but, uh, it, it's just me being sincere because like I said, you came in and that crowd loved you. I mean, we had, I think, somewhere near 400 people that night, as much as the building could possibly hold. They were so happy to have you here in Montreal. And you, I mean, you were just so busy at the merchandise stand. And then to give us half of your money to put towards the hospital. I mean, it was just... I know my sister-in-law and my, my nephew thanked you. And I mean, we tried to say, no, 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 you earn that money. You take it back. And you, you were not letting us have that. You were like, nope, we're giving it to you guys. And I mean, I can't thank you enough again. I mean, it's obviously a I personal story other, for us. I think I spent the other half at the bar too. So <laughs> well, I, I, we, why do I, I didn't go home with nothing. Oh. <laughs> we did go out that night. We went, um, we went out the night before you guys came in. We went out to dinner and then went to a bar. And then the next night we went out and went out to a bar again afterwards. We had a good you time took, when you guys were here. To, yeah, you took us to uh, some mountaintop thing too that was real cool. Yeah. Hell, the pictures will pop up on our time hop every now and then. Yeah, that place is beautiful. What it is, if you've ever been to Montreal, it's called Mount Royal. And there's just this beautiful area. We call it a mountain. It's not really technically a mountain. It's just a big giant hill here in Montreal, but it has this beautiful lookout over the city and it's gorgeous. One of my favorite places. And anytime anybody comes in, I'm like, we have to go there. That's like the number what one was place. The, uh, there was like raccoons and shit all over the place. So what was oh, the, yeah. Yeah, big raccoons. Yeah, yeah. There it's, um, it's mostly a cemetery on the one side. Then there's a big giant church. And then there's the uh, there's a couple of park areas in there, including the area we took you to so there's a lot of parks so the raccoons and the other animals just kind of run rampant <laughs> yeah i remember they were brave oh yeah oh because people feed them like yeah. it's there's signs saying don't feed the raccoons because obviously raccoons are not the uh, easiest animals to to get along with and yeah. they're pretty vicious so they say don't feed them but a lot of people still do or they get it from the trash cans or whatever who knows but I definitely am not getting close to a raccoon unless it's unless someone has one as a pet, which I've had friends that have had those. Those are different because they're more timid. But mm -mm, out in the wild, I'm a okay. Yeah, but I mean, I, I had a, I had a blast coming up there too. So uh, thank you guys for you know bringing me in. I see such like a difference. Like I mentioned this, like you were so like open and bright, like bright earlier and now you're kind of like more reserved like man i don't know what to say to that i don't know how to yeah i don't <laughs> think so yeah i'm just i don't know you know um, I, don't, 
I get like Ric Flair. You know how Ric Flair cries all the time? But yeah. If, if you get sentimental, like I try not to cry. <laughs> but I always gauge it by Ric Flair. I go, oh, Ric Flair cries all the time, so I'll be okay. Yeah, but, definitely. He's someone you can gauge it on for sure. All right, then we'll switch the question. We'll switch the uh, the situation. Tell me something here for bad you. I did, and I'll get back. No, actually, because I told you earlier, I do research on everybody that um, that comes on my show, even if I know them. And one thing I actually didn't know about you is that you were a stuntman for David Arquette in Ready to Rumble. Yeah, I had no idea. That was so awesome. But then again, it's been years since I've actually watched Ready to Rumble, but. How was that working with David Arquette? That was before he came in for WCW. So how was that? Uh, it was great, you know, because they um, they needed – Canyon was a stunt coordinator on that. And me and Canyon became friends uh, right away. Mm-hmm. And initially, they were, and Canyon was going to need an assistant on the show to help uh, choreograph the wrestling scenes. Uh, and this was in pre-production of the movie. You know, in a movie, they don't let you go out there and just do whatever the hell you want. They need to know with camera, lighting, sound, all that shit, what's going to happen. And so, uh, and uh, anyway, so I got that gig and was going to go out there. And it's supposed to be just like three weeks, three weeks of me and Canyon putting together what each guy was going to do, this, that, and the other. And uh, they figured out that just training a stuntman to wrestle was going to be difficult. So they just hired me to be David's stunt double as well. So it went from like three weeks to three months I was out there in LA. And uh, I mean, I just had a blast. It was crazy. You know, they paid me stupid money to, most of the time I wasn't doing anything. Once we got past the choreography part, I just had to be on set. And Dave would, David would want to do a lot of the stuff. And they would have to say, Dave, uh, we got insurance on you. We can't have you get hurt. And that's when they bring me in. I was expendable is what stuntmen are. <laughs> stuntmen get no fucking credit for anything. And, um, but uh, it was, you know, me and Dave are friends to this day. You know, we uh, would text each other all the time about stuff. You know, he's, he's always been cool like that. Uh, you know, we went out to uh, meet him and his, he was married to Courtney Cox at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they took me out to dinner a couple of times. Um, you know, and we've just maintained that friendship all these years. God, that was 1999 when uh, we filmed that. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard in the wrestling business to have friendships actually last that long because people come and go and forget about you or, you know, stuff happens, you lose touch. And for 30 years to be friends, that's quite amazing. Yeah. He, uh, you know, he, um, uh, that top rope belts just made him a replica of the big gold belt that he won Mm -hmm. and kind of personalized it a little bit. And on one of the, uh, uh, on the on the front of the plate at the one of the uh, lower corners, it says Hurricane in there. Dave asked him to put that in there. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so nice. See, again, I'm I'm getting I'm getting I'm getting all uh, <laughs> you know. I don't but, like it when people are nice to me. I'm not used to it. It's the thing. <laughs> See, that's what it is. I'm just not used to it. I'm used to people being assholes, and then I have to be one back. I'm not used to people being nice to me. But oh, uh, yeah, I- that that was a blast. That's amazing. And that's not the only movie you've done. In fact, recently you were just became, um, what is it? The wrestling detective for, (laughs) you know, where I'll go with this one. So how is it filming that with, I mean, it's just a cast of characters, just like ready to rumble was. Yeah. You know, I showed up, they kind of gave me, they wanted me to be a detective. Well, first of all, um, there was a slim chance that they were going to get Dr. D David Schultz on this show and so uh, when i was talking to gallows about it, i was like oh man well you gotta let me do the gregory helms thing because they wanted hurricane mm-hmm. everybody wants hurricane nobody wants fucking gregory helms <laughs> and i was just like 
And all Gallows knew was he wanted me to be a part of it. And so uh, when I was talking to him, I was just like, well, who I was going to be on the shoot? And he told me that they might get David Schultz. I was like, oh, my God. I said, you got to let Gregory Helms do something with this. Because David Schultz, if you don't know, is famous for slapping a reporter. Mm -hmm. Do you know that story? No, but you could tell it if you want to. Because yeah, I'm, so I'm into it. Very famous story, Dr. D. David Schultz. There's a reporter named John Stossel. You can Google this. John Stossel worked for fucking 2020 or somebody like that big time and goes up to Dr. D. David Schultz and goes, well, you know, what do you think when people say wrestling's fake or something like that? And David Schultz slapped the fuck out of him. Boom. So I slapped the shit out of him. And, um, but it kind of cost David his career. You know, he kind of oh, got yeah. blackballed after that. You know, it was a, you know, it was a real, it was a real big deal, but you know, he was legendary because of it. So, uh, Playing off of that, I was just like, man, you know, you got to let me do the reporter gimmick with David Schultz. He doesn't know I'm a reporter until the end. Then he found, finds out I am. And my idea was we go off with him choking me, you know, um, somehow. But then they couldn't get David. But then that idea was just, I guess, in somebody's mind about me being Gregory Helms. So, uh, we tweaked it a little bit to me being a wrestling detective. And it was just fun because I got there and they were just like, okay, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you want me to do and it's like now whatever you want to do <laughs> like okay and uh it was just guys working with each other you know that uh a lot of creative freedom they, they were very cool about that so uh i just i don't know that was fun and if you have you seen the new shirt yes i've seen it the wrestling that's my, detective that's, that's our cat on my shirt oh that's, nice. our, that's our real cat on the shirt so oh yeah kitty cat <laughs> yeah making a cat famous <laughs> Well, I mean, there's other people who do it too. I mean, if you follow Natalia or and TJ, you know two paws more yeah, than any paws. other cat they, in the world. And I think uh, I just saw today. I think Alita has an Instagram page for her dog because she does all this traveling. Yeah. And her dog, I think, has its own Instagram account. And I think it. I think I can't remember the exact wording, but the dog is bragging about being more places than everybody else. Like I've been. <laughs> more places than you or some shit like that look very cute that's fantastic i love like i mean i've put my dog over he has his own instagram too so i <laughs> obviously my dog hasn't been more places than anybody he's only been here in ohio right. oh my hold on my microphone just kind of pooped out there all right i guess it came back so i'll say that again i guess so i have an instagram for my dog as well i mean he hasn't been everywhere but you know it, it's he's cute and i can't help it so I have to put them everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But that's cool that your cat made the shirt, though. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it, I thought I thought it was well. I mean, we did the uh, it's a it's a parody of the Ace Ventura shirt. Yeah. And uh, there's I think it might have been a dog on his uh, his shirt. You know, I got it's almost exactly. Uh, yeah, know, it's almost the exact the pose. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, by design. I mean, that was obviously yeah, that was the that was the gag. <laughs> so yeah. But then Karen goes, well, why don't you put Woody in there? Woody's the cat. And yeah. so we, she found me a picture of Woody, and he wasn't in the shot. Yeah. The uh, pro wrestling tees uh, took his picture and, and superimposed it with that. So, Oh, that's fantastic. Out. Yeah. Oh, that's man. That's one of the she... things, too, where I got to talk to these guys. Go, I got a weird request. Can you put my cat on my shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm a grown-ass man, but here's what I need. I need you to put my little cat on my shirt. And now because of that, Woody is going to have his own Instagram page. You got to get that started. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Woods. <laughs> well, we have one for uh, our other cat that passed away. And, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's too hard. <laughs> yeah, we had to, we had to, uh, we had to put that cat down there. And it was, 
it was one of the saddest days of my day. I never, I never had to do that before. And I don't envy anybody that's ever had, I didn't think that was going to be that hard. That was, that was fucking heartbreaking. It is. I had a cat right before I moved to Montreal. Actually, I put him down. He was, he uh, hacked up part of his lung one day and it was uh, just, oh, it was awful. He was in so much pain. I just couldn't do yeah. it to my poor cat. I was like, I know. Okay. Yeah, it was, Sorry, uh, yeah, it you. wasn't, you know, when you say, I wish it was a better term. You put him down on the way. I mean, yeah. Euthanizing sounds, sounds just as bad, but yeah, Molly was in a, her, she was in organ failure and everything was starting to to shut down and was having to do it and it was just fucking heart rich <laughs> you know i've been to funerals for human beings that didn't affect me as much as, as putting that little cat down well i mean you think about it your your animals are literally with you whenever you're home i mean sometimes yeah. like my dog we take him a lot of places with us but you know it's it's heartbreaking when a pet crosses because it's just it's so close to you. Like you guess you don't realize how much you rely on that animal for like some emotional support sometimes too. Yeah. So then it comes to that point and you're just like, Oh, this is just the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. I know. Cause sometimes I'll catch myself making fun of these people with these emotional support animals. And then I remember how bad my heartbreak when uh, uh, we lost Molly. So yeah, it's a real thing. You know, I mean that, that attachment, you know, human attachment uh, to each other and animals and stuff. It's a real thing. We don't oh, definitely. know what it is. We just call it attachment, but there's there's something deeper there. I think. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, you like animals, in my opinion, can always feel when you are at your worst, and they're mm -hmm. always there to cuddle you and take mm -hmm. like not necessarily take care of you, but be that support that you need at that moment if you don't have anything else, you know, that can help you. So mm -hmm. I love it, and like I've heard these stories about like when you know, uh, some people with some kind of handicaps, like let's say you have epilepsy or something like the dogs know how to like lift your head up. So you yeah, don't like, yeah. you know, choke or, or go into a seizure and hit your head or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like it's crazy. There's it's like you said, much deeper. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. What animals can do. Look at us. We're covering all kinds of stuff. <laughs> we are, we are. And speaking of covering all kinds of stuff, you also have highway to Helms which we haven't even got to talk about yet. I mean, like yeah. I said, so much stuff to talk about with you, Shane. So you've been doing the podcast for quite a while now. I mean, not, not consistently all the time, but yeah. one, one thing I do want to thank you is the last time you were in Montreal as an agent for WWE, you actually, you're like, Oh, you're on your podcast, highway to homes. And you're like, Oh, you know, I was just in Montreal. Hey, sassy stuffy, like in the podcast. Okay. And I was like, Oh man, that's the coolest thing. Like you didn't have to put me over like that, but that was awesome. I, I actually enjoy it. I'm one of those few people that enjoy putting people over. You know? <laughs> There's such a weird thing in our business that uh, when people get to a certain level, they think they can't, it, they feel less than if they put somebody over. They don't want to be a mark for anything. They don't want to be a fan for anything. That's just, that's never been me. Yeah. You know, if I like somebody, I like them. And if I like anything, it doesn't matter to me whether it's popular or not. You know, when I first, I mean, that's how the whole, everybody likes superheroes now. Yeah. Where were these motherfuckers when I first became Hurricane? That's what I want to know. You know, where were y'all then? You know, well, but, the, uh, Marvel, the Marvel movies weren't out like they are now. That's what I'm saying. See, these are these fair <laughs> weather fans coming around here. You know? Well, you're the, you're the true OG. I mean, you even have the tattoo on your shoulder there of the Green Lantern. So, I mean, and I know you've been into comics for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. Where, where did that actually start? Did you start as a kid collecting uh, the uh, comics or did you just kind of grow into it? Uh, no, like my parents got divorced when I was five. And 
so with a new my dad uh you know started dating this new woman and um which was the reason they got divorced um so uh you know and uh so with the new woman came a new uh grandfather and i went over there and he had this huge collection of comics and i didn't know anybody i didn't have you know no friends or anything and um just started reading these comics i didn't really even know know they existed and it was just something that you know uh filled a void and i just fell in love with the whole the whole genre and it wasn't marvel or dc it was both companies and he had all these independent titles too and it was just something that i really got into you know so um wrestling was my first love you know i was re i was a big wrestling fan even before that but it was just something i always stuck with and and two it was this real inclusive thing too where you know like uh because of where i grew up you know i had a lot of uh, black friends and uh, in comics, you could see that there was you know, Power Man and Iron Fist. There was a, a black and white friend, so I didn't see that in a lot of other areas. You know what I mean? So um, there was just something that really always connected me with comics, and uh, I didn't ever imagine being a superhero. You know, that was never <laughs> in my goal. You know, uh, I was an amateur wrestler. I was really good. I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to be a serious wrestler, which you saw with Gregory Helms. That's yeah. that's that's shame, um, but. You know, I would always wear comic book shirts to the shows and stuff. And I, like I said, I had the Green Lantern tattoo. So the Hurricane thing, it was just the writer at the time wanted to do a superhero character. WWE came to me with that idea. You know, people, mm -hmm. there are some people think it was my idea. It wasn't. They just found the perfect guy. And uh, and it was one of those things too, just like with Three Count, I don't want to be in a boy band. You know, I'm sorry to break your heart. <laughs> That's all right. That's I, I grew up on hip hop. I did not, I don't know shit about the Bad Street Boys. But I like I committed to it, you know, and that's why it worked. You know, Shannon and Evan wouldn't even learn to dance. I knew the fucking dance at least. You know, <laughs> I knew the dance. I knew the words to the song. I helped write the songs. So uh, those characters for me was just all about commitment, committing to those characters. And so I think fans can tell when you don't commit. They see through you pretty easily. Oh, definitely. And I mean, you could tell especially with the hurricane character that you were just having the time of your life. Yeah. I mean, we can go back to, you know, some of the uh, stuff that we talked about earlier with the rock. I mean, when somebody's having a good time, you can tell. And when they're having a good time, it's just going to outshine everything else that everybody else is doing. Cause maybe they're not having as good of a time as you were. Yeah. And it's one of those things too. Like I knew there was going to be limitations with that character that character, they never were going to let that character win the world title or anything like that. You know, Gregory Helms could have been in the conversation. Hurricane mm -hmm. was never going to. So yeah. I wrestled with that a lot. You know, I wrestled with that, knowing that. But like you said, at the same time, I'm having the time of my life. You know, whereas in uh, Austin, this is one of the things that really brought me and Austin together as, you know, and we've been great friends ever since. But I did this podcast, uh, you know, I can't remember how many years ago, but he was just like, he goes, you always were a happy motherfucker. And I go, I said, yeah. I said, you top guys were fucking miserable. <laughs> I said, I said, I never let nobody get to me. I said, I never let it get to me. And I'll tell you, here's a little piece of advice, uh, free advice from people listening. Uh, I, I had to tell Becky Lynch this uh, one time. And I was like, you never let them have this. And I point to my heart for people that are, if this is my yeah. audio podcast, I don't know. I said, wrestling will fuck with your head. Because anything you love, it'll fuck with your head. Mm -hmm. you know, and it shreds your body. I said, but they can't have my heart because my heart is mine. Nobody can have that but me. And so uh, that's just kind of, you know, if I love something and I'm having a blast, that's, that's just what I did. I, and I loved being the hurricane. So even though I knew there was, 
going to be some big limitations in terms of success. And it's such a weird business, you know, we put guys in the hall of fame because they were scripted to win a world title, even if they fucking sucked. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, because I get those questions. Are you going to be in a hall of fame? I don't know. I know oh, I'm way be. better than a lot of people that were in there, but I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to have those, uh, those thoughts either. So I don't, you know, if it happens fine, if it don't, you know, well, I'm still good either way. Here's a great question that I'll ask then, because I asked this, I just um, recently had on Jimmy Corderas and I said, when and if they induct him into the Hall of Fame, who would he like to induct him? So if WWE approached you and said, Shane, we'd like to put you into the Hall of Fame, who would you like to have induct you into the Wrestling Hall of Fame? Uh, man, it would, I, I wish Canyon was still alive. If Canyon was still alive, it'd be him hands down because, you know, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have got hired in WCW. And um, so it'd be hard because the, you know, maybe Matt – Maybe Matt Hardy, just because we were so close, and we still are, have been, you know, for so many years. Uh, Jimmy Hart might be another consideration, you know, but Jimmy's more associated with Hulk and stuff like that. So I'm sure Jimmy would do it for sure, but uh, I'm not sure how many fans know of our our connection. So probably Matt. That's a great answer. And speaking of Matt, I I had this rolled down, but I didn't know if I was going to get to it. The uh, elite deletion match. Yeah. The line that Matt said, the long-term storytelling was uh, maybe not the pop of the night, but it was for me. That was fantastic. Like, Matt, what the hell happened? Uh, long-term storytelling. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. I love it, too, because we were hitting at it for a couple weeks about how I'd been kidnapped. And people thought I was talking about because I worked, was working for WWE and, like, hated the job or something. But I'm like, <laughs> no, I got kidnapped on this damn House Hardy Halloween thing, the thing with Papa Shango I was talking about. Yeah. And so it was such a great line, you know. Um, and I don't know. And too, uh, well, I got I got some good texts from uh, people at AEW like that were in the crowd, and they're like, "Man, I said the crowd popped the second you came up." <laughs> and so uh, you always want to hear stuff like that. So uh, that was a lot of fun, you know. And that water sucked ass. I do want to say that. I did. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> you know they. Uh, they cut away from it, but like I went in the water and then Matt and Sammy were fighting for like 20, 25 seconds. And I was just floating in that water. And I didn't like, man, are they going to stop? Because I, I can't take much more. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, I can't breathe under here, you know, but uh, we had a blast. And that was, that was so much fun. Oh, I can imagine. All of the matches that have gone from TNA Impact to WWE to Impact with the deletion, the Matt character there is just so creative, so out of the box, so amazing. And I'm glad that companies actually took, you know, the the Matt character and really built it. Even, mm -hmm. you know, WWE, usually they want their ideas yeah, to be the yeah. forefront, but even they did like that Halloween special, like you said. And I mean, just to embrace somebody's idea like that and let them run with it is amazing. Yeah, and like that too because we did that, we were able to sneak the hurricane on impact ring of, you know, WWE and AEW. And I was hurricane and ring of honor too. So I've had managed to somehow sneak that character into four major companies. <laughs> like I said, not many people can say, like we talked about being in all those promotions earlier. And I, I was trying to think, I was like, maybe the Dudley boys, but the Dudley boys haven't been in, um, in AEW. 
So I'm like, man, I really think you're the only one that can really say that as a main talent has crossed every single one of the companies off of their, on their resume. Yeah, there's, there's not many. There's not many for sure. Oh man, Shane, I just want to thank you so much for being on here. It has been a barrel of laughs. You are such a great guy. I'm so glad that I got to show the other side of Shane too. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, your pro wrestling tea store, whatever you want to promote, this is your time to do so. Uh, with the pro wrestling tees is uh, Shane Helms. Just search Shane Helms. I should pop right up. Uh, a bunch of cool ass shirts. And the surprise uh, top seller is the Gregory Helms shirt with just the glasses, which tickles the fuck out of me. Like, that's how crazy fans are. That that's the shirt. Because I hated that Titan Tron. It has plagued me for years. It haunted me. And that's the shirt. That's my best seller. <laughs> but I, I love wrestling fans. They just do whatever they want to. I love that about them. Uh, but as far as uh, where you can find me, at ShaneHelms.com is uh, where I'm at everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, Facebook, everything is uh, at ShaneHelms.com. So pretty easy to find. And I'm on there all the time. Way too much. <laughs> but it's some of the most entertaining stuff, let me tell you. Girl, when I do conventions now, uh, people talk to me about my Twitter game more than they talk to me about my wrestling anymore. <laughs> That and uh, the Instagram posts, they just like all that shit, you know, so. Oh, man, some of I'd your- I'd be good at something, I guess. Some of your stories and, and stuff on Twitter and even Facebook make me laugh so hard. Like, I think just recently you posted the When She Agrees to Din Disney Plus and Thrust, and it's The Incredibles, and I'm like, oh, my God. Hey, Miss Incredible, Miss Incredible's back. Especially in that picture, man. Especially in that one, yeah, Disney Plus and Thrust. <laughs> All right. This has been Shane Helms. I'm so happy you were here. Merry Christmas, everybody. And we'll see you guys soon. So there you have it. That wraps up 2020 with Talking Sass. Thank you guys so much for being a part of my first couple months of Talking Sass. Like I said, I will be taking New Year's Eve off, but I'll be back the following week with all brand new content. Can't wait to see you guys then. Don't forget to like, comment, and share this podcast with everybody you know. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. That is Talking Sass on YouTube. All right, guys, until next time. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern and In the Room. Featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro, both shows take callers live during the show. And recent guests have included General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Danger Sandy Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com 
and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOC Nation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.